2011 theme at Northside is how in the world, uh, how does Christianity work in the real world? And we're uh, looking at Bible teachings applied to a number of different areas of our life in the real world and seeing how that, how that works. Uh, the series that we're in now is the biblical foundation of marriage and family. The Bible talks a lot about marriage and family and the role of men and women and uh, those things we've been talking about. How does it work in this world when the world has changed a lot of the ideas about uh, traditional marriage and uh, gender roles and all of that? Uh, so that's what we're working on this series. Our question is... How in the world can a marriage survive or a family thrive uh, with all of the misconceptions and different ideas that are around us? Uh, we started the first <clears throat> lesson in this series and looked at some of the things that are going on in the world and some of the ideas that folks have. Uh, we decided that the only answer uh, was to rebuild the foundation. Uh, we decided things are so far out of whack that we just need to go back and see what the Bible says, uh, lay that biblical foundation, and see if we can apply some of that. Uh, we looked first at the foundation of marriage uh, and saw that the world's confused about that. The world thinks marriage is a contract that can be easily made and easily broken. The Bible talks about marriage as a covenant between two people that become one in a very special sense. Uh, then we tried to untangle the confusion about gender roles. What's a real man? What's a real woman? And we found that that's just as messed up in the world, just as distorted as the idea of marriage. And we talked about biblical manhood being a man who uh, seeks to lead, and to protect, and to provide. And a biblical woman respects and affirms that male leadership uh, she completes the man. She has her primary sphere in the home. And we talked about all that last week. Uh, today's topic and our last topic in this series is parenthood. Uh, and the world's messed up on that too. Uh, the world's got all kinds of strange, funny ideas about what parenting means. There's a lot of bad ideas out there. Uh, so we're going to do what we've done every week. going to go back to the start and see what the Bible says. So get your Bibles. And let's go to the source. And we are going to spend some time in the book today. And I want you to think as I read these to you uh, that this is the Word of God. It's not me just telling you some things. I'm not preaching right now. I'm reading the Word of God to you. Let's start in Deut Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the Old Testament. Principle still applies, of course, but let's look at what God told the people in chapter 6. Beginning at verse 1, Moses had just finished listing all the commands for them. He gave them the law of the Lord. And then he said, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Listen to this now. So that, Moses, why did God want you to tell the people these things, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. So Moses says, God wanted me to give you these things 
so that you'll teach them to your children and their children and that this will be good for you. This is the best way of life. That's the way God's commands always are. There's what they are what's best for us. Let's jump on down to verse 6. He said, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God said these principles, these laws, these rules of life are so important they ought to be on your mind all the time. Now we know the Pharisees took this kind of literally and they wrote scriptures and put them in little boxes on their forehead and they carried them around on their robes and all that and they put them beside their doors and all of that might help you remind, think of it, but that's not the point. The point is they're supposed to be part of your life and impress them on your children. There is the Old Testament command telling parents what they're supposed to do. What's the nature of parenthood? Fear God, keep His commandments, and impress them on your children. All right, let's go to the New Testament now, the passage that was already read for you. Ephesians chapter 6. And in this passage, we've been looking at it in prior lessons. Paul's telling everybody in the church how they're supposed to behave, how they're supposed to live life. And he gets down to chapter 6, and he talks to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, there's two job descriptions in here. The first one is for children. Children, your job description is the easiest of all. That's why I didn't even have a special lesson for it. Children's job description is obey. Okay? That, that wouldn't fill 30 minutes, so I didn't do a lesson on what children are supposed to do. You're just supposed to obey and honor your parents while you're doing that. But verse 4 is the one that we're looking at here, the New Testament command for parents and we'll talk about that word fathers in a moment. It also means parents. It says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. All right, we've got the Old Testament command. We've got the New Testament command. Now, the general rule is in Proverbs 22, verse 6. And Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, train a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not turn from it. Now, a proverb is not a guarantee. A proverb is a truism. A proverb is a general rule. Okay? So the Old Testament command was, parents, impress these things on your children so that their life will go well. The New Testament command is bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord so things will go well for them. The general rule is if parents do that, things go better. If you train them when they're children, in general, life will go better for them. They won't turn away from that. That's the path they'll follow. Can a child ever rebel and go a different direction or choose the wrong thing? Certainly. 
They get to be a certain age. They have free will. They can choose to obey or disobey what they've been trained in. But the general rule is if parents do their job, things are going to go well. Now a couple of examples before we get off of this uh, looking at some scriptures. Let's look at Genesis chapter 18. I want to impress on you here how important this is. Abraham's the father of the faithful. One of the most important men in the Bible. Why did God pick him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and make him the father of many nations? God himself explained in Genesis 18, 19. He said, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Abraham was chosen as the father of the faithful to pass this down. To his children and the children after him. That's pretty important stuff we're talking about here. The role of parenting. And let's look at Moses over in Deuteronomy chapter 32 as we finish reading scriptures here. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 44. This is toward the end of Moses' life. He's about ready to die. And it says that Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. You can read the last few chapters and see what he told them, but he basically recounted all that God had done for them. And then in verse 45, when Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them will you, you will live long in the land you are coming to the Jordan, crossing the Jordan to possess. Moses wrapped it all up. He said, here's what God commanded me. And the reason I told you those things is so you could take them to heart and then command your children to obey them carefully. He said, these aren't just idle words. This is about life. This is about how life works best when parents train children properly. Are you starting to see what parenthood is? Let's try to summarize the nature of parenthood. What you, we've talked about biblical manhood, biblical womanhood. Well, what's biblical parenting? Hopefully, from what we've just read, the first thing you get in your mind is that first it is a great responsibility. Parenting is a huge responsibility. I'm not sure kids today are trained in that. I'm not sure they understand that. A couple of weeks ago we had a high school reunion and uh, at the school tour they were uh, one of the cheerleaders was carrying around a little baby, a doll baby, baby doll, I guess that's what you call it. Been a long time. Uh, a, baby, <laughs> a baby doll, and it was part of their training, a class or something they're doing, to teach them what it means to have a baby. And the baby has to be tended every so often, it cries every so often, I don't know how it all works, but they've got to do a few things to take care of this baby. If that's what they think 
parenting is. They haven't learned the lesson yet, have they? That little part, yeah, it's hard when they wake you up in the middle of the night. It's hard when they make a mess, but all of that is, that's the fun part of parenting. Once they get old enough to start disobeying or obeying and start learning, then parenting starts. Then you got to start doing what God said to do. You got to bring them up. You got to train them. It's a huge responsibility. Parents are charged with instilling values in children. Babies don't have values. They don't know. They got to learn them somewhere. Parents are charged with that. They are charged with forming their conscience. Some people have good consciences. Some people don't have good consciences because their parents didn't train them with a good one. Parents are charged with instilling character, developing that character. What's that person going to be like when he grows up? That's a parent's job to develop that. Now, I understand some other things may help. School may help. Preachers may help. Youth ministers may help. Sunday school teachers may help and may support the parents. And I understand some things may detract from your training. TV and music and the internet and pop culture may tear down what you're trying to instill in children. But whether something helps or detracts doesn't matter. Parents, it's your responsibility. It's a great responsibility to train children, to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, as Ephesians said. It's a great responsibility. Second, it takes time. You read Deuteronomy? When did it say parenting takes place? Oh, between the times when you get up and when you lie down. While you're sleeping, you really can't do a whole lot of parenting. But other than that, you're supposed to be parenting. You are supposed to be working on this. You're supposed to be training them up, bringing them up in the training and instruction, all the things that say... That's when you do it. It takes all the time. You can't do it in five minutes a day. You can't do it in one hour on Saturday. It's a full-time job. It takes a lot of time. Okay, so those are kind of general. It's a, it's a big responsibility. It takes time. And some of you are saying, oh, okay, I get that, but what am I supposed to do? You know, give me a better job description. Well, I can do that. Just one verse, that's all we need. Paul wrote one verse in Ephesians 6, 4, and it covers it. You heard it just a moment ago, let's repeat it. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And now it says fathers. And in the sense that fathers are supposed to lead the family, yes, it's their primary responsibility. They're ultimately responsible and all that. Now, the word itself there, uh, patera, can mean father or parents. Okay? Over in Hebrews 13, uh, 11.23, Hebrews 11.23, exact same word. It talks about Moses' parents hiding him. 
Okay, very same word. Amram and Jochebed teamed up on that. It was a team deal. Well, that's what raising children is. Okay? So, so mothers don't think you're not a part of it. I know you wouldn't think that because you know you are a part of it. But parents, don't exasperate your children. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. All right, so let's continue here. Third, it takes training. Let's work on that word first. You may have a translation that says nurture. You might have one that says educate. Those are other synonyms for training. It involves teaching, nurturing, educating. Bring them up, it says. That implies that they don't bring themselves up. They can't reach maturity. They can't learn all the things that they need to learn by themselves. Parents are supposed to do that. Deuteronomy 6, 7, what did it say? Say, get these on your hearts, and then what? Teach your children. Teach these words to your children. So it involves training. Children need to be trained in all sorts of things. This is just a partial list. Just off the top of my head, I thought, well, I'll put some things down that children need to be trained in. And it kind of overwhelmed me. When I got this far, I thought, well, I better not put any more down. I want to scare some of these people that are pregnant. You know, this, this, is, this is a big job. You've got to train children what obedience is. They don't know. They're evil little things. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they think it's all about them. And you've got to train them what obedience is. And that starts very young. All these other things come when they get a little more uh, understanding and all that. But obedience starts real early. A few months ago I wrote a series of bulletin articles about training children in a worship setting. And I got a lot of positive feedback. Uh, If I'd have kept track of it, I think most of the positive feedback was coming from an older demographic. And it's not because old folks just want everything to be quiet all the time. It's because old folks understand the importance of training a child in obedience. It's not about just being quiet in the worship service. They are concerned about the child. They understand when they see a child that is not learning obedience, that child's going to have a harder life. And society is going to have a harder life because of that child. They know the importance of a child learning to obey. They know that if a child is allowed to disobey with impunity, it's not going to go well for that child. And not just allowed to disobey with impunity. When they see a child getting rewarded for disobeying, and some of you are sitting there saying, well, nobody would do that. Yes, you do. If, you, if your child throws a little fit, cries, screams, yells, whatever, and you take them out and love on them and hug them until they calm down, let them run around and play a little bit, and then bring them back in, that kid says, that was fun. And I know how to do that again. I know exactly how to get a little extra attention and get to run around for a while. 
And then I can go back in and sit down until I'm ready to go out again and have some more fun. You're rewarding them for it. When a child is taken out, it needs to be unpleasant. It needs to hurt. You can pick your way to do that, but it needs to be an unpleasant experience. That's training in obedience. That's a parent's job. You've got to train children to fear God. And I use that term because Moses used it. Don't let it scare you. It's not about being afraid of God. It's about respecting God. Understanding who God is. Understanding the benefits of His laws. You've got to instill that in them, Moses said. You've got to train them to respect authority. Respect their elders. Respect other people. You've got to train them how to pick good friends. They don't know how to do that. Early on, they'll come home and they want to be friends with the kid that seems to be the most fun in class. He's going to get them in trouble. You've got to teach them about that. And sometimes you've got to tell them, no, that friend is not going to be your friend. Will they get upset at you? Yeah, that's okay. But your job is to train them. To teach them. You've got to teach them to manage money. That's a big job. You've got to teach them to, a work ethic. They've got to learn how to work. They've got to learn self-discipline. To tell themselves no sometimes. That they can't have everything the second that they want it. Now, if you look at that list... That's a scary list. That's a huge responsibility. But when Paul says training, that's what he's talking about. What do you need to teach them? What do you need to educate them in? How do you need to nurture them to know these things? If you look at that list and then look around at society, you see where parents have failed. I see a kid misbehaving in a restaurant. I don't get mad at the kid. Not their fault. I'm upset with the parents. They didn't do their job. Okay? And we look at some of the goofy things going on in society. I feel sorry for the kids. They don't know any better. Parents didn't train them in these things. They don't know any of these things. Life's going to be hard for them. Hard for the rest of us because somebody didn't do their job as parents. All right, let's take the other word. Fourth, it requires instruction. The nature of parenthood requires training and it requires instruction. Now, you may have a translation that says admonish. I actually like that word better. That's a little better word, but instruction is the way the NIV translates it. Rebuke, warn, maybe other words that your Bible has. Get the difference? Training is teaching them things, a list of things they got to learn. The admonishment, the rebuking, the warning is keeping them on track. Because the children don't comply and obey willingly sometimes when you're teaching them these things. So they got to be admonished, they got to be instructed, they got to be disciplined, if you want to use that word. Well, how do you do that? And parents today are confused about that because the world confuses them. So they ask, well, what do I do? I I just talk to them. I tell Junior, no, no, you can't do that. Speak sweet and kind so they don't have their little self-esteem hurt or something. A verbal correction. 
timeouts, grounding, revoking privileges, spanking? The answer, yes. All of those things. All of them at certain times and certain places and for certain children. Those are all ways of rebuking, ways of admonishing. Spanking, the world today says, no, no, uh, we better not do that. That's not a good thing. That'll teach them to be violent. That'll do something to them. I don't know what. The Bible talks about spanking. Calls it the rod of discipline. Says, in fact, if you don't use it, you hate your child. You're not instructing them. You're not admonishing them like they ought to. So you're letting them grow up wrong. So life is going to be hard for them. And some of you, when I say rod, you're thinking of this big stick or a cane or something. A rod, biblically, is the switch. Switch works really well. A little switch on bare, the back of bare legs, that stings. Gets their attention. My boys hated the day we discovered the rod. Yeah, the, the hand it hurts you more than it does them if they're tough. The rod works. Yeah, that's what the Bible talks about. Some of you are looking at me like, this guy really saying that? Yeah. <laughs> because that's your job as parents, is to train them and instruct them, to admonish them. If, if, and I, I realize some kids need spanking more than others, but do you want to see a bunch of kids that have never been spanked? They're all on Wall Street right now. Okay? Not working on Wall Street, sleeping on Wall Street. Okay? That is a massive parental failure. Now, you listen to those kids. They, they hadn't learned anything on that list I just showed you. I doubt if they were ever admonished. Okay? And, and we laugh, but it's not funny. It's what's messed the world up. Parenting is a huge responsibility. And we need to know the things we've got to train them. We need to figure out how to admonish them best so that they do grow up fearing God and respecting others and being a part of society. Now, admonishment, I, I listed a bunch of things. Whatever method you choose, and different methods work different times, but admonishment should be, let me give you a little list, I put it on your handout. It should be individual. There's no one method that works for every child. Ch children are all different. Okay? Some of them, a harsh admonishment is just a harsh look. If you look at them like you're disappointed, they, they feel really bad. They know they've disappointed you. And some, it takes repeated applications of the rod to get through to them. I don't know why kids are that different. They just are. But it should be individual, to, different for each child. It should be consistent. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I know it's talking about being honest, but that works pretty good for talking to kids too. When you tell them don't do something, 
if they go ahead and do it, they must be corrected. They must be admonished. If it's not consistent, they don't get it. It confuses them. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be fair. The punishment should fit the crime is a pretty good rule. The harshest punishment that you dole out should be when they willfully disobey. And children will willfully disobey sometimes. They make their mind up. I know he told me to do that, but I'm not going to do it. Or vice versa. I know I shouldn't do this and I will do it. When they willfully disobey, that's the harsh discipline stuff. That's different from just being careless. Just being a kid and forgetting, oh yeah, I was supposed to do that chore. That's a whole different thing. They still need to be punished. They need to be admonished some way. But it needs to fit the crime. It ought to be fair. Lastly, it needs to be positive. As much as possible, don't just negatively reinforce, positively reinforce. When they do something right, let them know it. Tell them how proud you are of them. Tell them that's good obedience. That's what I'm looking for. Be positive about things. All right, let's hurry to the end here. Fifth, all of this training and instructing does not include exasperating. Not a word we use too much today, so let's talk about it a little bit. Other words used in some translations are don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't discourage them. Colossians 3.21 is a similar passage and it says don't, don't uh, provoke them, don't discourage them. Okay? Now on this one, we've been talking about how this is countercultural today. When Paul wrote this stuff, this was way, way, way countercultural. Okay? In, in the Roman world in that day, fathers owned everybody in the house. Okay? Uh, patria potestas, the father's power, was law. And a father owned the slaves, he owned his wife, he owned his children. And he could do anything he wanted to with them. He could sell them if he wanted to. He could discipline them, he could disown them, he could put them to death, put them to death. It was the law. And so Paul writes and says, Talk about counterculture. He says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to wrath. And remember, this is in the submit story we've been reading. He's telling parents they need to, in a sense, submit to their children. Be gentle and kind and respectful and understand that child's psyche. And don't provoke them to wrath. Don't exasperate them. Don't discourage them. Now, doesn't include all anger. When you train and instruct, you're going to upset the little darlings. Okay, they're not going to like it sometimes, and that's okay. They still got to obey you and honor you. You got to train them that too. But what Paul's talking about here is don't do it in such a way that breaks their spirit. Don't do it in a way that drives them to rebellion. Don't, don't do it in such a way that makes them give up. Now, I'm not comparing children to animals, but all of you have had the experience probably of seeing a dog and approaching that dog and reaching out to pet it, and the dog cowers like that. What do you know immediately? Somebody's mistreated that dog. 
Somebody has beat that dog. Somebody has uh, broken that dog's spirit. Okay? Now, they react differently. Some dogs may cower like that, and some might just bite you. Okay? Well, children react differently too. When he says don't provoke them to wrath, don't discourage them, don't exasperate them, kids are different. They, they respond differently. But understand this. This deal about not exasperating, about not provoking to wrath, that is important enough that Paul put it in the verse about parenting. Paul wrote one verse here in this passage about parenting, and this is part of it. The three big points, train them, instruct them, and don't exasperate them. So if it's one of the three big points, it must be a real problem. A potential problem. And it's not just beating like mistreating a dog. There's a whole lot of ways to provoke children and exasperate them. Here here are some ways to provoke your child. First one I put it, excessive harsh discipline. Yeah, you can do that. You can be so harsh and so cruel and not use the rod and all of that, I mean, in the right way. And you can break them. You can exasperate them, provoke them to rebellion. Or you can do it with inconsistent discipline. We talked about that a little bit a minute ago. If you overlook something three times and then on the fourth time you explode and punish them, they're confused. They're exasperated. They don't know what to do. Unkindness. You can be mean-spirited about it. You can speak to them in a disrespectful tone Especially in public. You let other people hear it. That exasperates them. Discourages them. Breaks them. You can show favoritism. Jacob and Esau. That family work out pretty smooth. Daddy liked one of them and mama liked the other one. That really worked well. Joseph. Favorite child. I know God worked good things out of it, but that family was messed up. Okay? Because daddy showed favoritism to one of the boys. Okay? That provoked the others to anger. <laughs> that exasperated them. They sold their brother, which is kind of an overreaction to favoritism, but they did. Uh, overindulgence. You give your kid everything. Be so permissive with them. Just let them get away with anything. A verse I told you a moment ago, Proverbs 13, 24, says, spare your, if you spare the rod, you hate your child. If you're so indulgent with them that they can get away with anything. Kids know that instinctively. They know I'm getting away with too much here. My parents must not love me. It discourages them. It exasperates them. Or you can be overprotective. You can never let a kid make a decision. No freedom, no trust. Keep them locked up all the time. Or you can be so protective that every time they get a little boo-boo, you run to the school principal. Some bully's picking on my child. Overprotective. That discourages them. You may think you're being a protector and showing up as that. That embarrasses them. Let them grow up a little bit. Pressure to achieve. 
If what they do is never good enough, they always ought to do better. It breaks them, exasperates them, discourages them. If they're never good enough, uh, you've got this unbelievably high standard for them, or even worse, you're making them live out your goals, the things that you didn't get to do. You're going to make them do it. There's a show on TV about the little kids that are made to dress up and beauty pageant kind of thing, little bitty kids. That's a whole bunch of mothers that never got to be cheerleader. <laughs> you know, or worse. And they're making this poor, they're ruining this poor kid's life. They're exasperating. They may not show up yet, but it will. They're making them live out their goals. Okay. Lastly, constant criticism. That discourages a child. Be positive a lot of the time. If you're always on them about every little thing, you exasperate them. Provoke them to wrath. All right. Those are the points. Now, parenting, not for the faint-hearted, is it? <laughs> this is serious business. It's a huge responsibility. But I think the foundation that we've seen in this series about the foundation of marriage and family, I think the foundation is solid. We've looked at the nature of marriage, looked at the nature of manhood, the nature of womanhood, and the nature of parenthood. Okay, and I realize four overview lessons so quick, no way we could get into many details. But that foundation is solid. That what, what builds the best Families, the best children, the best society, the best church, it works. And to quote Moses, these are not just idle words. This is your life. I hope, have I said every time, I think, I hope that our young men and women have heard enough in here that they question what society tells them. I hope they've heard enough to begin to think that I need to think seriously about marriage and about the man I choose or the woman I choose and what it means to be a parent. I know that some here have listened to this and seen a new way, a, a different way than they've ever thought they ought to be living. I know change is hard also. But if you believe that these are not just idle words that we've been talking about for four weeks, I would encourage you to act on that faith. And God blesses faith. If you need to move closer to the biblical foundation of marriage or manhood or womanhood or your parenting job, uh, God will bless your faith as you try to do that. If you need to ask for our help this morning as a family of God, we'd be glad to pray with you about it and support you in the future. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we invite you to come. Let's stand and sing.